Wedge Issues is brought to you by Wispolitics.com, a place where political insiders go for news, opinion, and campaign information. Once again, that's Wispolitics.com. Sarah Godlewski is so fired up about Wisconsin's state treasurer office that not only did she lead the campaign to keep voters from eliminating the office, she then ran for it and won. I'm Jesse O'Poyan, and this is Wedge Issues, a Cap Times podcast about state government and politics in Wisconsin. Sarah Godlewski joins me this week to nerd out on Wisconsin's finances and her role as the state's fiscal watchdog. The office has seen a lot of authority and funding for its operations stripped away over the years, and she is fighting to bring them back. We also, of course, talked about her favorite Wisconsin beer, and she offered a little tip for anyone who might decide to have cheese curds at their wedding. Stay tuned for that in just a second. But first, Eric Lawrenson and I will check in on this week's state politics news. Hello, Eric. Hello, Jesse. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Eric? I'm good. Yeah. Um, I what, just came off the heels of a recording session for the Mad Splainers before we sat down to do this. Talked yeah. all about Taco Bell. I'm super excited to listen to this. Yeah. Uh, and for anyone wondering about why we, we would talk about Taco Bell for a civic affairs podcast, well, you should listen to the episode. I'm not going to spoil anything here. I mean, probably you know what we're talking about if you I mean, are if like been, at least a yeah. moderate consumer of local news, <laughs> but yeah. Boozy Taco Bell yeah. Plug. entered Madison. Yes. And yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing all about your consumption of the various alcoholic offerings that they have paired with. So usually like, people get drunk and go eat Taco Bell, but now you can drink while you eat taking out the middleman taking out the middleman do you have interest in trying any of their twisted concoctions and when i say twisted I, that's literally how they that's brand really what it. they call yeah. it well i mean i'm sure you guys got into this on the mad splainers so i don't want to step on it too much but i my sentiment has been if you know so that since they don't have a hard liquor license and they can only sell um wine and beer if i'm gonna have a mountain dew baja blast frozen slushy spiked with alcohol think it should be hard liquor. I don't know what people are doing with putting wine and beer in Mountain Dew. This is like, if you if you gotta make the authentic Mountain Dew Baja Blast. You gotta use hard liquor. I feel like we're having a debate over what a true old-fashioned is right now. <laughs> this is a, so much tapping more into horrific. a fierce, fierce controversy over yeah, what is a drink anyway. We should just talk about this instead of the news. I think that I agree. And let us begin. Talking about the news. <laughs> yes, let's talk about the news. All right, fine. Um, I think that probably the biggest thing that we can talk about is something that we've been talking about for a while now, which is the Joint Finance Committee taking on the state budget, the biennial budget. And today, Thursday, they wrapped up their work. On, in the light of day. In the light of day. It's so wild. It's um, rare. But yeah, so the JFC 
passed the budget, or at least their version of a budget, and now it's on its way. Where is it going? The assembly? Does the assembly take I, it up first? Sounds like the assembly is planning okay. on taking it up first later this month. They've got a target date of June 25th right now, and it'll likely go to the Senate later that week. Gotcha. And then on to the governor. Gotcha. Um, well, maybe where we could start is with taxes, because I think this was kind of the one of the the um, final bows that Republicans tied on this 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 package, the spending package. They uh, passed a tax cut as part of this budget, um, a different tax cut than what Governor Evers had been proposing. And long story short, we're talking about three hundred million dollars in uh, income tax reductions targeting uh, middle income households, I believe. Yeah. I mean, Jesse, could you tell us a little bit like how did this, I guess, differ from what Governor Evers was proposing? Because they both were proposing some form of a tax cut. They were. And what Governor Evers had wanted to do was tie that to scaling back the manufacturing and agriculture tax credit, which largely benefits uh, wealthier earners and particularly those as the name would suggest in the manufacturing agricultural industry. And he actually only wanted to scale it back as it pertains to the manufacturing sector. Um, But that's something that Republicans were never on board with because they view it as a tax increase on uh, those people who are already getting the cut because you you would be taking that cut away from them. Um, And and so they're, you know, one of their primary objections to the governor's budget was that it spent too much and, in their opinion, raised taxes on uh, people who are running businesses and creating mm-hmm. jobs. Um, and, and so, and, and part of their selling point on this income tax cut is that it's coming as they're also proposing raising vehicle registration fees um, and, and some other fees as opposed to raising the gas tax. Um, and they're saying this income tax cut is going to help offset the effects of some of those fee increases that they're talking about. And correct me if I'm wrong here, this tax cut was kind of similar to what Republicans had proposed prior to this whole budgetary process, right? This was similar to the bill that Evers vetoed before the budget, along the the reasoning being like, this should be part of the budgetary process. So I guess here we are. So I guess here we are. (laughs) It's in the budgetary process. And and yes, like you said, sort of funding those similar mechanisms drawing from, from funds that the state, in theory, will have on hand. And uh, the governor vetoed it at the time. Um, more, in, in, it sounds like based on he wanted it to be part of that budget broader conversation, um, but now he gets to consider it in the context of the document that they're handing to him. All right. Well, let's talk big picture here about what's next. I mean, it should not come as a surprise to anyone that this budget coming out of the JFC looks very different from what Evers proposed. I mean, Republicans from the get-go described the Evers initial proposal as a liberal wish list. Um, And so now it's a question of what's going to happen once this new budget makes its way through the legislature and what is Governor Evers going to do when it comes to his desk? Yeah, and so it it does sound like it's got pretty good odds of making its way through the legislative process perhaps without a whole lot of changes. Um, Republicans have the majorities in both chambers, so it's not like Democrats can really make a lot of changes. Um, the question is, are there any holdout Republican votes that will be needed who want to see things changed between now and then? 
you know, Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald joked a little bit after the joint finance was done that things have to be going well if he and Speaker Robin Voss are getting along. And so, you know, that's sort of a nod back to the last budget where there was quite a bit of friction between the two chambers and between those two leaders over how to get things done. And so the fact that the two of them are standing side by side and saying, we like this budget, we feel good about it, means, um, you know, it's, it's on good footing heading into the legislature. Then it's up to Tony Evers to decide what to do. And he can partially veto items in the budget, or he could veto the entire thing and send it back and wait and see what the legislature does with it. Um, And Speaker Voss said he just refuses to consider that that would would be a possibility because no governor has done that in recorded history that we can find. Do we have, has the governor in any way, shape, or form tipped his hand indicating what might be coming down the line? Not really. Okay. We just don't know. We don't know. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, exciting times ahead. (laughs) It's not over yet. The ride's not over yet. Yeah. Um, Well, I think the state budget is, of course, uh, kind of the the biggest item on our agenda. But but also there were updates in a ongoing story regarding those lame duck laws that got passed um, at the end of 2018, back when Scott Walker was still governor. Of course, these were very controversial laws that got a lot of national scrutiny and were have were very quickly became subject to a lawsuit. Um, and yeah, the Supreme Court earlier this week um, basically nixed an injunction on these laws that a, a county judge had ordered. Um, so yeah, basically what what happened here, Jesse? Like what what is back on the table? Almost everything. Um, and and it, the question is sort of what and for how long and what happens next? Because the state Supreme Court reinstated pretty much everything in those uh, lame duck laws, with the exception of a provision related to guidance documents, which I'm just going to recommend you read Brianna Riley's story about guidance documents, because I'm not going to try to explain them, because I'm not. <laughs> I don't it's feel like it. It's just on principle. <laughs> no, this I just, was the one thing, when you when you originally agreed to do wedge issues, you were like, this is the one thing I'll I never will talk not about stand. guidance documents. <laughs> These are my conditions. No, um, Brianna did a really good uh, explainer of, of what that provision is, but basically everything else uh, is back on the table. However, there are still other lawsuits. There's at least one other lawsuit that is making its way through the system and that could change things all over again, or maybe, you know, the court will continue ruling down this path. Uh, but, but that's where things sit right now. Certainly. Um, and also kind of a uh, not really a story that is very policy focused, but nevertheless, pretty noteworthy in terms of the state's history. Governor Tony Evers issued an executive order about the LGBT flag flying at the state capitol. And last Friday, indeed, the rainbow flag was raised alongside the um, American flag and the state of Wisconsin's flag at the state capitol. This marked the first time in Wisconsin history that this had ever happened. And of course, it happened in tandem with Pride Month, the month of June. Um, and, you know, it was a bit of a political, cultural flashpoint for for um, some conservatives who 
um, are either opponents of gay marriage or um, are not vocally in support of gay rights. Uh, there were some tweets, some columns, just some, you know, some opposition to to Tony Evers um, issuing this executive order. Yeah, and the, the order also allows government buildings throughout the state to raise the flag should they wish to do that. Um, so I believe we'll be seeing other some other state government buildings doing this, and I don't know if any local governments have done it, but it might be interesting to find out. Uh, but yes, the reactions were mixed, I guess. Um, you know, the the order talked about you know, showing a sign of inclusivity. There were a handful of lawmakers who expressed some opposition. Um, not a lot, there were, but there were a few, and, and of course people noticed that. So they said, you know, the, the, the concerns varied. I think, you know, one, one lawmaker, Scott Allen, a Republican from Waukesha, said, uh, what if someone wanted to fly the Christian flag and we should just not fly any flag that isn't the American flag or, you know, the state of Wisconsin? Um, he said that it was a divisive issue, that this was promoting uh, something that not everyone in Wisconsin supports or agrees with. Um, Senator David Craig, also a Republican, sort of shared those sentiments. Um, we've seen some columns written about it, some editorials. The uh, conservative Christian group uh, Wisconsin Family Action issued a statement uh, asking, you know, not only what if you wanted to fly the Christian flag, but what if you wanted to fly the Nazi flag? Uh, and kind of just listing a variety of examples of what if, what if, what if. Yeah. No, I mean, and certainly that the fact that this was a bit of a flashpoint, I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise given that, I mean, this was a state that just a few years ago was still fighting federal courts over whether or not the state of Wisconsin should be able to ban gay marriage. Well, that's true. It, you know, the state did vote in 2006 to put a constitutional amendment uh, banning, or the, the voters did uh choose in 2006 to approve a constitutional amendment banning same-sex marriage in Wisconsin, and that passed with about two-thirds of the vote. It was popularly supported at the time, but within just a few years, public opinion really started to flip, and now you see almost the opposite. About two-thirds of the state supports same-sex marriage, and it's been five years since it was legalized in Wisconsin, um, What four years since legalized throughout the entire country. So we're seeing that changed, but for some who you know were very passionate about opposing LGBT rights, um, that's still fresh, and this was um, something to to continue to fight about. Gotcha. Since I get to have opinions now, I think it's cool that the flag's up there. Hey, nice. You know what? Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, I look forward to hearing your interview this week with Sarah Godlewski, correct? State Treasurer Sarah Godlewski. We're going to learn all about what the state treasurer does or doesn't do. Fascinating. It, it is. I Fascinating. Guess. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, look, well, I'm looking forward to hearing it. And I'm looking forward to listening to your Madsplainers Taco Bell review. Yep. Check it next Monday. Woo. All right. Bye. Bye.
Well, Sarah, thank you for being here in our, our tiny little podcasting studio. How does this compare size-wise to your office in the Capitol basement? Well, Jesse, I feel like I'm at home right now in the basement, but I always say the basement is the foundation of the state, just like I'm sure this office is the foundation for the Cap Times. Sure, and, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's why we're there, but it feels like we're right at home, so this is great. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Um, So you led the effort to keep the state treasurer office in existence in Wisconsin, and now you are the state treasurer. (laughs) (laughs) What made you uh, passionate about this? I mean, I've never seen someone passionate about the state treasurer the way (laughs) that you are really about uh, fiscal responsibility at all. (laughs) Right, right. Well, for the record, Jesse, I didn't think I was going to grow up and be the state treasurer. (laughs) Um, My parents are school teachers and I was not the kid drawing dollar signs or asking for a safety deposit box for Christmas or anything. (laughs) Um, But really where I kind of stumbled upon the whole amendment in the state treasurer's office was I, uh, prior to being elected, I ran a socially responsible investment firm. So we invest in early stage socially responsible businesses. And one of the things that I was really bothered by was the amount of capital that Silicon Valley gets for startups and small businesses in one day is the amount that Wisconsin gets in an entire year, which is crazy. Yeah. And so I was talking to friends of mine around the country and they're like, well, state treasurers are doing some cool stuff with small business. And I go, oh, so they were using their depository authority. So uh, instead of just giving it to a big bank, they're giving it to small banks in their states. And then they were saying, can you then lend this to first time business owners, whether it's women or minorities or first time business owners? And I'm like, that sounds like a great idea. Actually, leveraging our in-state resources, partnering with community banks that are struggling. And it's a win-win. I'm like, I'll talk to the state treasurer about this and see (laughs) if I can be helpful, Jesse. And long story short, um, he never returned my call. And then I come to find out that He's actually working to remove the office. That's right. Which to me was mind boggling because you would never fire your chief financial officer and give those responsibilities to your CEO. Um, There's a reason why there's a separation of finance and operations. And uh, so when I found that out, I'm like, I don't want Wisconsin to be the only state without a financial officer. And long story short, got connected with Jack Voigt, who was the former Republican state treasurer. And we led the um, Save Our Fiscal Watchdog Constitutional Amendment. So, and then 62% of Wisconsinites said, we agree with you, which is a landslide. Yeah. So, yeah. I remember, you know, during that that campaign, I had friends asking me, do I want, do I vote yes for this? Do I want it? And I was like, well, here's what the treasurer's office does. And it's not much, but right. it could do more. Right. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. As you mentioned, the previous treasurer had run on eliminating it. And actually, the person who had the office before him had run on eliminating it, too. But then after serving in the office, changed his mind. So right. it was interesting to see kind of how that all well, came together. And to your point, Jess, if you want to talk about a cushy gig, run for a position that you want to eliminate, because then you never have to show up. Sure. And you can blame the position when it, when the reality is it's not the position. It's really the person. The person is what makes the position. Um, and so that's what I think has been really fascinating for me in this role, Jesse, is coming into this office and just seeing all the potential and opportunities that it has that honestly they have been neglected for at least the last four years. So let's talk about that. I know you asked the uh, Reference Bureau, was it the Reference Bureau? Yes, yes. yes. You asked the Legislative, Legislative Reference, Reference Bureau, Bureau yep. to prepare a memo for you on what 
duties the treasurer could or should be doing right. um, that it's not doing. So what should this office look like? Yeah, so that's what I think was so shocking even to me as I walked in and people kept saying, well, Sarah, this office has no authority. Um, it's not supposed – it doesn't have much. And the Legislative Reference Bureau came back and they go, actually, there are 17 statutory responsibilities that you're supposed to be upholding for the people of Wisconsin. And in addition to that, um, you have executive privilege just like any other executive officer. So, like, you can start task forces or you can actually do certain, like, proclamations. And so this to me was – Great, but it just shows how much it's the person, not the position. Um, so some of the 17 responsibilities that really, I think, have jumped out is, so the first one is, not to get a little dorky, Jesse, but uh, with like unclaimed property. Mm-hmm. So believe it or not, we're responsible for making sure taxpayers get the money that they might not have known that they had. And because we haven't been funded or been doing that, we have seen literally a 30% decrease, which equals $10 million a year. So there's not just consequences, but there's financial consequences for us not being funded to do our job. Um, The other thing that we found out was really interesting is actually getting in and looking at the process. We realized that um, nonprofits and municipalities were often overlooked in getting back their tax dollars in this unclaimed property process. Uh, And so we've discovered over $200,000 that's supposed to be going back to these groups. And this is just with me by myself you know, this team of one and Mm -hmm. I get some good interns. Um, And so it just kind of shows you the possibilities. But I would say the other responsibility, because I don't want to dork out on all 17, (laughs) I'll I'll save the listeners. Um, The other one that was really fascinating was the check signing authority. So anybody in the state of Wisconsin that has gotten a check, my signature is on it. Now, this was really fascinating for me because literally about two weeks after I was elected, I get a call from um, the Department of Administration that's like, hey, Sarah, we need your signature. And I I look at them, I go, what do you need my signature for? Is it for my election papers? Is it to like certify that I'm official? Like, Mm -hmm. and they go, no, no, you sign the state checkbook. And I go, okay, well, what are your standard operating procedures? (laughs) And um, how do you validate third party vendors? And it was like, I was speaking a different language. And so um, these have been, I think, the validators that we are experiencing every day about what a state treasurer should be doing for taxpayers. So when you came into the office, you had no internet, no, no phones. You're, so your office is in the basement of the Capitol, as we talked about. But um, for, for people who haven't found their way down there, because it can be a little tricky to find, right. <laughs> what does the setup look like and, and, and the staffing levels and, and just kind of what is the operation right now? Yeah. So uh, walk. So when we got there on day one um, in January, it was exactly what you talked about. It was not Wisconsin's most prideful moment. Let's just put it that way, Jesse. Um, <laughs> when literally not only did we have basic services like cell phone service or internet, but cords were hanging from the ceiling. I mean, it was just a disaster. Um, but it was also, I think, just looking at what is our budget? And literally our budget has been funded for one FTE, <laughs> And that's my salary, Mm -hmm. which is by statute. And uh, what we found out is, you know, the state treasurer looking through the finances, heaven forbid, that's what I did. We found out that there was a grant and we that had been on the books for a while and we were able to hire a temporary staffer to help us get things started under that grant. But it's been it's been a transition. Um, But it just further, I think, illustrates how important that 
this office has been when you actually get up and running. So what kind of support are you seeing from um, the administration, from the legislature? Uh, How do you move toward getting some authority back into this office? Yeah. So to me, what I think it really comes down to is how do we get the resourcing we deserve? Because it's not even about authority. I I think the 17 kind of core statutory responsibilities that are outlined in law is significant. Mm -hmm. It's more that we haven't been funded to do that. So the governor has put forth a really good budget for us that identifies three full-time staff and resources to like return tax dollars with that unclaimed property program. Uh, But unfortunately, the legislature has taken that away. And what I find so frustrating is there's two misnomers about our budget. One is, is that we're just making big government, Jesse. Oh my gosh, the treasurer is going to add this army and the next thing you know, she's going to take over. And (laughs) the reality is, first of all, we're asking for three people. Um, The second piece is we are actually self-funded, meaning we run on the the money that we earn. (laughs) We're not taking tax dollars from the health department or from other opportunities. We actually run on our own money. And here's the crazy part is that we, if you look at the two accounts that are aligned to my office, $12 million. It's not like, it's not like there's no money there for us to use. And what I think is further interesting is we even said, look, we will prove that we'll return, we'll be of value to taxpayers. Like you can hold us to standards, but we just don't seem to get anywhere. And I think that's the unfortunate thing. You have been given some additional responsibilities, um, and really specifically the student loan task force. You mentioned being on task forces. Uh, What have you guys been up to on that task force, and what can we expect in the future? No, I think that's a really great question, Jesse. And this was something that is quite personal for me, to be honest. Uh, I don't know if your listeners or if any of them are suffering from student loan debt or... Imagine a few of them are. You know, a couple might have (laughs) experienced it. I mean... Like, I think about even just my own personal situation, Jesse. Like, I did everything right. So I thought, Mm -hmm. right? My parents were public school teachers. They saved as much money as they could. Um, I went to a public institution. I graduated within four years. Um, I got above 3.5 GPA. You know, I did Mm -hmm. everything I thought I was supposed to. But yet, I graduated with $75,000 in student loan debt. And my interest rates were up to 9%, which... In today's world is absolutely crazy because you look at it in the student loan industry, they are up to 15%. Wow. Which in the market, their interest rates are like 2%, 3%, 4%, but yet they're charging students 15%. And so I think there's a real disconnect. And if you look at the profits of these banks, they're making the most out of these student loans. And so I think there's a question is, what can we do to get down to this problem? Um, Because we know as students, when you graduate, you're at a disadvantage often. You don't have credit. If you do, it's maybe not great. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the second piece is you don't have collateral. So it's not like you can say, look, if I don't pay my student loans, you can take my house or you can take my car. I mean, I don't know many students who have houses or cars even um, at their age in which they graduate. And so it's kind of thinking through, I think, how do we work with lenders to make sure that we provide the guarantees needed to have low interest rates so people can refinance? And like, what does this look like? Yeah. So let's uh, go back in time for you a little bit. You grew up yep. in Eau Claire. Yep. And you left the state for college. What 
happened after that (laughs) and what led you back to Wisconsin? Yeah. So I um, got a degree in peace and conflict resolution, which unfortunately they didn't offer that in the state of Wisconsin, (laughs) Jesse. So I had to go elsewhere. Might be useful during these budget negotiations. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I should probably test that and then write a paper on it. Um, And what was crazy is after I graduated with that degree, I found myself at the Pentagon. And um, I will tell you, that is not the place I thought I wanted to be (laughs) after college. (laughs) But um, I really embraced the whole Department of Defense experience. I actually ended up working right away for a colonel who was from Wisconsin. (laughs) And one of the assistant secretaries for the Army that I worked with was also from Wisconsin. And it just became this really great opportunity where I was uh, learning about public finance. And we were working at the height of when we were in Afghanistan and Iraq. And how are we actually working with families and how are we bringing back equipment and how are we saving tax dollars and so I was there for almost a decade and then I kind of was like I need something else in my life Um, and then went to municipal government Uh, most notably it was for the Denver metro area and did some really kind of interesting uh, performance-based budgeting work for them and then I was like all right this is great Um, I think I'm ready for the investment side and I was really frustrated that people thought you couldn't have strong returns after doing good things for the world. Like you had to only invest in oil or cigarettes or tobacco or things like that. Um, And I go, no, 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 you can invest in renewable energy and do good things for the world and still make strong financial returns. So started a investment firm and uh, kind of that's what led me back to Wisconsin is I was like, look, I think that there's this financing opportunity where small businesses want to do good things and they don't have access to capital. Um, I think I can make better than like worried about the rest of the world. I can maybe make a difference back home. Yeah. home. So having worked at the municipal level and at the federal level in yeah. some really serious ways, now you're at the state level. What differences and, and similarities do you see in, in each level of government that you've worked in? That is such a good question. Um, I will be honest. I think One of the things that has been most surprising for me is really, I would say, two things. One is the partisanship. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was at the Pentagon actually working under a Republican administration, and we still could go to Congress and have great conversations. Um, It it seems to not be that way here in Wisconsin, which I think has been really sad at times, Jesse, quite frankly. And then the other thing is uh, the bureaucracy. And granted, maybe it's me with my private sector hat on coming straight from the private sector, but um, the way that things move just has been shockingly slow. Um, And so I think that's something that has also been surprising is that I thought working for one of the largest bureaucracies in the world, the Department of Defense, I had experienced bureaucracy (laughs) at its finest. You would think. But Wisconsin has showed me maybe a little different. And um, I'm not saying it's because of workers or anything like that. I Mm -hmm. think it's more... How do we do things? And um, when we're not collaborating, I think it makes it harder to get things done effectively and efficiently. Wedge Issues is sponsored by WISPolitics.com. You can become a WISPolitics.com member. Find out more at WISPolitics.com slash membership. So we're talking during the week that uh, the state is celebrating the ratification of the 19th Amendment um, 100 years later. And there's a little bit of dispute between Illinois and Wisconsin being the first, but Wisconsin is, in fact, the first state to have done so, um, no matter what Illinois tries to say. (laughs) I think that's what started the rivalry originally. right. (laughs) 
So you right now are the only woman in a constitutional office um, and one of few in history, really, to have held the, uh, any statewide office in Wisconsin. So and I know you've gone through eMERGE training and, and you've you know had worked for, for Hillary's campaign and, yep. or worked to support her. So you've had this theme sort of, of of women in politics running through your life. What does it mean to you to be at that level and to be one of the more prominent female politicians in the state right now? Yeah, I think for me, it's really sending um, a message, Jesse, that women can be in elected office and not just in any elected office. Women can serve as executives. I mean, I feel like my entire career has been this kind of story about, well, you can't do that, Sarah. I mean, literally, that started for me um, when I was going to Girls Badger State. So I don't know if you're familiar, yeah, Jesse, yeah. with Girls Badger it's State. It's a good program by the American Legion where they select like one girl from every high school to learn about civics and you actually run communities and you get elected and I remember I was so excited that I had got selected for my high school Jesse and I was telling some of the boys in my class oh my gosh I'm gonna learn about like government and how to get elected and I think this is great and they look at me and they go well women aren't in politics Sarah and I'm like wait what and they go well I mean do we have a woman governor do we have a woman senator? Do we have a woman congresswoman? And at that point in the late 90s, Jesse, the answer was no. We did not have a woman senator. We did not have a woman governor. And we didn't even have a congressional representative yet. And so that was, I think, a time where I like took a step back. And I remember thinking, like, should I even go? Like, am mm-hmm. I just being set up for like, severe disappointment. And I came to Madison and um, my roommate, I was like telling her how upset I was about this. And she said, well, actually, Sarah, there is a woman that's trying, that's actually running for Congress right now. And I go, there is? (laughs) And she said, yeah, she's in a primary, but her name is Tammy Baldwin. Mm -hmm. And she serves here locally in Madison. And I think she might win it and be the first female congressional representative from Wisconsin. I go, oh my gosh, this does happen. This does exist. And it really just, I think, changed my aura. And just knowing how important it was to like look up to some other women, that they have done it, that they've blazed this trail. I really hope to be doing the same, to letting other women know that they can step up and they can do this. And quite frankly, we need their voice. I mean, Jesse, if you think about it, the electorate is what, 52% female? But yet in the state of Wisconsin, we represent less than 25%? in the legislature. Mm -hmm. Like, this is crazy to me. And so if we don't have a voice at the table, we're on the menu. And so I really hope to get more and more women um, to be that voice, because I think it's important to change. It was interesting, too, to watch the the Democratic ticket sort of in general during the state race in 2018. I mean, for one thing, because you guys really ran as a team, which is something I think we hadn't seen. I had seen it on the Republican side a lot more, and I hadn't really seen it in, in much that I'd covered on the Democratic side. Um, so I want you to talk about that dynamic, but I also want to talk about just the, you guys are all, with the governor excluded, pretty young uh, to be running for statewide right. office. And that was an interesting dynamic, too. So so first, let's just talk about how you sort of coalesced as, as, a, as a team and a ticket. Yeah, I, I mean, I will tell you, I had so much fun on the campaign trail <laughs> running as a team. Um, with now Governor Evers and Mandela and Josh. Um, and I think what there was like almost instant synergy, Jesse. And I think part of that was because we each really bring a different 
set of experiences. So you look at the governor. I mean, he was a school administrator, a teacher. He had lived all over the state. You look at Mandela. He was a community organizer, a minority who has a totally different experience from Milwaukee. And then you look at Josh, who was um, an attorney who had grown up over in Fond du Lac and then lived in Madison. And then there's me, who is this um, businesswoman who was from western Wisconsin. And so uh, I feel like just the combination of our experiences just made us really a strong, unified kind of team to say, this is what we believe. We believe diversity matters. We believe um, diverse values are what's going to really help move Wisconsin forward. And that's exactly what you're going to see with this group and that we are united to do that. So as a young woman and running running for office, have you faced additional probable challenges or scrutiny that you um, maybe don't see your male counterparts <laughs> facing? Well, I, can t- I can't even tell you on one hand, Jesse, how many times <laughs> I have been in um, walking into meetings and people have said to me, um, do you know where the state treasurer is? She was supposed to be at this meeting. <laughs> and I go, well, I am the state treasurer. And they're like, oh. And, 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 and so... I, I would like to joke uh, with the mayor of Madison now, Satya, because she's like, "This is what happens while governing while being female." Because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she had the ex- she has recently had the exact same experiences, and so um, I do think that there is this reality. We are just held to a different standard, and if it's not, you know, what we look like, <laughs> um, it's how we deliver. And if it's not how we deliver, it's how aggressive we may be or how passionate we are. And so um, I think that always has to, you're always thinking about that. Um, and so it's it's a challenge, but it doesn't mean that challenges aren't things that we should work through. I think it just goes back to this is why we need more women in office to help establish this as a norm, not as being kind of a, a unique situation. Sure. So I know you just got elected to this office, but your dynamic, your name comes up a lot when people talk about a lot of other offices. Do you think about running for anything else in the future? So I will tell you, Jesse, I'm in the basement by myself. (laughs) There's not a lot of time to think about anything else except for, you know, how can I do the best job possible to make sure the financial health of Wisconsin is in a really good state? And that's something that I'm I'm passionate about. That's why I ran. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's what can I do as state treasurer to make sure that I am leaving this office and making ensuring that this office will continue to serve Wisconsinites because we've seen what happens when it doesn't. Um, so that's what that's what it's about for me and that's what it will continue to be about. So before we move into the lightning round, one sort of just wrap up question. What are your like top uh, handful of priorities uh, in the next year and then for the rest of your term? So there's probably, I would say, three things. You know, the first is I ran on this platform of being a fiscal watchdog. That's something that we have put front and center. So it's everything from continuing to identify the $10 million that should be going back to taxpayers that we've already done to putting together an annual report where people have transparency and accountability to government um, to really looking at what is economic security for Wisconsinites. And this is something, Jesse, that keeps me up at night <laughs> as the financial nerd that I am is I was reading right when I was elected about the retirement crisis that really is not being talked about in Wisconsin. I mean, when over 50% of Wisconsinites, Jesse, have less than $3,000 saved for retirement, and we know they can't live off of Social Security alone, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And, and on top of that, you, you add the dynamic where Wisconsin's one of the fastest aging populations in the country. 
who's going to pay for that? And so this is something that I'm really passionate about because state treasurers across the country have been looking at public state retirement programs. Um, in the state of Oregon, they've recently started one about two years ago. And within the first 18 months, Jesse, of their public retirement plan, they had 22,000 people join. They had a fund of $5 million that they created, and they shrunk the retirement gap by 16%. Wow. I mean, imagine what we could do in Wisconsin. So I'm excited to really work with the governor, um, and I, I really appreciate the governor also recognizing the criticality of this issue to look at the feasibility of doing something like that in Wisconsin. The second thing is uh, looking at child savings accounts. So it's not just about the older generation. It's about how are we setting up the younger generation for success. And so a lot of states have had these child savings accounts, but oftentimes the question is how can we pay for it and how can it actually help kids that are not just for school? So it's helping kids with health care. It's helping kids with um, buying their first time home buying for for retirement. And so we are looking at what's the best finance vehicle that could really create universal child savings accounts in ways that could make a difference. And then the third issue is uh, the good old student loan debt crisis. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a $24 billion problem in the state of Wisconsin. And um, I think that between those three, um, we're going to be really busy, Jesse. Yeah, you've got your hands full there. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. All right. Are you ready for the lightning round? I am ready for the famous lightning round. It's a big deal. I know. (laughs) Okay. What's your favorite Wisconsin beer? Uh, Well, I'm torn between Western Wisconsin Lining Kugels Mm -hmm. and then Spotted Cow. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. What is your favorite Wisconsin travel destination? So my favorite Wisconsin travel destination is my cabin, which is in Northwest Wisconsin um, in Trigau. Do you have a favorite travel destination outside of Wisconsin? My, uh, that's actually a hard one. Um, I just like to be around the water. Yeah. So, and in February, going someplace warm is not a sad thing either. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> usually the time when you start to question why you live in this. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. When the polar vortex is going mm-hmm. through the state. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. But then summer comes and it's all worth it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what's the best concert that you've ever gone to? So. My best concert, that's a hard one for me to answer, mm-hmm. Jesse. so I'm going to say my first concert. I like that, too. Um, was the Beach Boys at the State Fair. Oh. I went with my parents, and I thought that I was the coolest kid because they brought me to a concert, <laughs> and I caught one of the beach balls that was thrown by the Beach Boys, and it just made my day. That's pretty great. So, yeah. yeah. Um, are you currently reading anything right now, or is there anything you've read recently that stands out to you? Um, so I have actually, unfortunately, not read a good book recently. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a lot of newspapers. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> please don't judge me. Um, I read Money Magazine from cover to cover. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I guess you should. <laughs> Money Magazine and The Economist. And I'll say this issue of Money Magazine was really interesting because it did talk a lot about women oh, cool. and the financial power that we need to like really focus in on with women. So. Yeah. I dorked out about that issue for that's, a long time. That's good. Yeah. No, I hate the reading question because I end up reading more news than right. books. And then, I, yeah, I feel like I'm failing at it. But I need a good recommendation. So if you have one, um, please let me know. Yeah. Oh, The Immortalists is the last Ooh. book that I read. It's by Chloe Benjamin, who actually lives in Madison. Um, but oh. It was a New York Times bestseller. And um, it's, it's fantastic. And it was... Um, that's the last piece of piece of fiction that I read, but it was it was good. I would recommend it. All right, I'm putting it down for my beach read. Good. It's about like a sort of dysfunctional family, but in a good way. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um, okay. Are you watching anything? Do you do you binge anything when you're at home, or is there like a show that you're really wrapped up in right now? 
Oh my gosh. So I'm <laughs> laughing because so in this in my line of work recently people have said, "Have you been have you watched the Game of Thrones, Sarah?" because <laughs> a lot of things seem to just remind me of the Game of Thrones. Yeah. And so I've now been binge watching Game of Thrones. Um, I am only though on season 2. So I clearly have a long ways you to do. go. So yeah. please don't ruin the ending. I mean, if you've managed to make it this far, you might be okay. I know. Yeah. I know. I kind of put my headphones on and pretend I can't hear. But yeah. uh, so that's what I've been watching as much as possible is to get through the Game yeah, of Thrones series. <laughs> well, that'll be yeah, I'll be interested in, in hearing if you are pleased or not with the ending. It sounds like it was pretty divisive. Yeah, but there's like I didn't really reviews. watch it either, so I, I need to catch up at some point too. Well, be, I will be honest, I was never a fantasy mm-hmm. television person. That yeah. just wasn't my no, mo. Yeah, um, but I have been surprised actually. There's a lot to it. There's a lot more to it. Yeah, yeah. So if you're uh, in the car traveling and you need to listen to something, do you do podcast, radio, music? Uh, book on tape so I probably also have the most eclectic radio scene ever um if you would look at the tabs on my radio it's everything from podcast to WPR um to 80s 90s the blend Mm -hmm. um I think it really depends on my mood and also where am I going like do I need some pump up music right Jesse to like get me going or Am I going to be asked, like, the facts of the day, so I should probably be listening to the radio? Um, I think it really all depends. Yeah. So you made, made me think of something just now that I haven't asked on here before, but I, I think I'm going to start doing it because Ooh. I saw a list the other day of all the presidential candidates walkout songs at an event in Iowa. And I'm sure you've had to choose a walkout song uh-huh. before. So do you have a go-to walkout song? Um, so it's so funny you ask me this because I had to figure out what was my walkout song for the convention. Mm-hmm. And this was a big task because there's a lot of – a lot, mm, yeah. Like do we want to go for a money theme or maybe like women's empowerment? Um, so we actually combined them both. And we walked out to Donna Summers. She works hard for the money. Because oh. uh, <laughs> I thought that was a pretty well fit. I mean we are yeah. working hard for the taxpayers <laughs> of Wisconsin. So let's come out to that song. That's perfect. That's, <laughs> that is a well-crafted walkout song. Right. And, who, and it, like whether you're – it's intergenerational. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I feel like it checks all the boxes. I think that's a smart one. Yeah. Uh, Do you have any pets? I think you do, right? So um, I feel like my pet was more popular on the campaign trail than myself, (laughs) Jesse. We have a Jack Russell Chihuahua hybrid named Tanner, and he's like hashtag the fiscal watchdog. So um, he would always travel, and I remember I would be hitting some heart issues, but Tanner would be in my videos, and people would be like, we love your dog. (laughs) Go fiscal watchdog. So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. the dogs are always more popular. Right. (laughs) More popular than people, that's for sure. for sure. (laughs) Um, okay, so if you had a Wisconsin bucket list of things associated with with Wisconsin that you haven't done, is there a place that you want to go or a thing that you haven't done that you'd like to try? So um, being from western Wisconsin, I spent a lot of time actually traveling in western, northern. Um, I haven't experienced as much kind of the whole like eastern part mm-hmm. of Wisconsin. And so one of the things that I um, am really excited about doing this summer is exploring more of even Door County. Because um, being a western Wisconsin girl, we went to the Apostle Islands and Bayfield and Ashland and Superior because Door County seemed to be miles away, hours away. Oh, yeah. And so um, I'm really looking forward to exploring places like Door County and Sheboygan um, and what Lake Michigan has to offer. Yeah. It is funny how that works, I because I grew up in Marinette, so I did mm. all the 
Eastern things like Door County yep, and yep. Sheboygan. And yeah, and I haven't been to the Apostle Islands or Bayfield. So. Okay, well, we'll have to do an exchange. There we go. I'll yeah. take you to the Apostle <laughs> Islands. We'll go kayaking Perfect. and you can show me Door County. Perfect. <laughs> Good. Are you ready for your last one? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Favorite Wisconsin cheese? So I don't know if you had this experience in public schools, Jesse, but we had a cheese unit in third grade. I don't think we did. You didn't have a cheese unit. Upset about that. (laughs) So it was a very intense um, third grade unit, and we got to try nine different Wisconsin cheeses. And I remember the board to this day and how it was like almost like the Brady Bunch board. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And there was each cheese and the name. And I, re- I remember this. No, we did do something did you like do that. Yeah, 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 we did. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. So I have since to the to this day always been torn between Norwegian brick, which I think That's goes back a, yeah. to you know I'm half Scandinavian, mm-hmm. and then um, I loved Munster. Yeah. So that was where I learned about Munster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I came home because my parents would always show, like, have mozzarella and cheddar. Mm-hmm. And I remember I'm a third grader and I'm like, Mom, I would like Norwegian brick. And she's like, where <laughs> did you learn this from, Sarah? <laughs> I go, my third grade class. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's great. And you were telling me earlier you had cheese curds at your wedding. I did. That's pretty pretty terrific. That's a very good Wisconsin wedding. <laughs> yeah. No, lesson for anyone who wants cheese curds in their wedding, don't have a French chef serve them because he will think that you are ruining cheese by frying it and dipping it in ranch and maybe in ketchup. And in fact, you're only making it better. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. Good. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come in here. This has been great. Yeah. Good thanks day. for having me. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We'll be back every Friday with new episodes, so make sure that you're subscribed on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you can stay up to date. If you have feedback for me, you can find me on Twitter at jessieopie or you can email me at j-o-p-o-i-e-n at madison.com. You can also check out our other Cap Times podcasts like The Corner Table and The Mad Splainers, to which Eric and I referred earlier in our Taco Bell discussion. We'll see you next week. Wedge Issues has been brought to you by Wispolitics.com. There are plenty of benefits to becoming a member. You can go to Wispolitics.com slash membership to find out more.